welcome to the Random Runner. Today we got Brian here. How are you doing? Doing well. Awesome. So we've got uh, coming off the heels of our show with Mako, and uh, we've had a little. Uh, I've had a race that I just finished. Uh, hopefully, we'll get into that. Talk about uh, eating dirt. Not hopefully. Uh, we will get into it for sure. <laughs> And, uh, and there's a lot of big running news that happened over the weekend, too, because there was a lot of big marathons all over the world that a lot of interesting stuff happened. So, Yeah, and apparently at the time of this recording, uh, the Dubai Marathon just finished uh, close enough to this recording that as I jumped on Twitter before we started, we're seeing that um, a guy from, uh, I didn't see what, oh, Ethiopia, uh, Ethiopia's Getana Mala ran a 2:03:34 to win the Dubai Marathon course record and fastest debut marathon in history. That's insane. That's yeah. That's uh. I mean, the to win is one thing on your first race, but then to set a course record and then to be that fast—that's just unbelievable. It's quite a running pedigree. Yeah, we didn't have time to look up and see who this guy is and, you know, does he have a track record? What's his fastest half marathon, 10K, whatever. Mm-hmm. So oh. that's pretty crazy. 203.34, the the previous world record before um, Elliot Kipchoge broke it was like 202.57, something mm-hmm. like that. So this is like half a minute slower than the previous world record. Wow, that's insane. I assume the Dubai course is a pretty f- fast course. I mean, I noticed they're running it at night, uh, probably so it's not hot, but it's not very mountainous there, I assume. No, I think it's flat, flat, flat. Um, I, I don't know anything about the course. I don't know if it's possible that they had a headwind or, you know, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, if it's if like this... even a world record contender, if it's a point-to-point or a loop course. Yeah. Um, so, so it's super impressive. And then the women did well as well. Yeah, the uh, so Ruth, I'm going to butcher this last name, but Ruth Chepnektich wins uh, course record by uh, 2.1707 for the third fastest time in history. And Degafa, second place, runs fourth fastest time in history, running 2.1741 for second place. <laughs> wow. That's, That's crazy. crazy that they were just 34 seconds apart. I mean, they both basically... I mean, set top five records. I mean, geez. So you're saying you saw that it was, uh, the race was raced at night? Well, the picture, I'm reading an article uh, on a website called The National, and the start of the race, it's dark. So I don't know if it's a pre-morning or in the evening race, but it's dark. There's no, it's not like sunset or something. Well, maybe, you know, maybe if they're racing at night and this is a new thing, maybe all the people that want to break world records are going to start racing at night. That'd be kind of crazy. It certainly might have a a benefit. I mean, the sun can definitely take a toll on you. Yeah. Even if the weather's cool. I know people generally say that, that humans, uh, work out better in the morning, but my experience is I I do much better in the middle of the day or in the evening. Um, I just, I'm just able to, to work harder. Interesting. I would say earlier in my running, like last year, running in the morning was definitely difficult. I would wake up stiff and sore and it would take me a good hour or two to loosen up. But I would say in the last four or five months, that's changed for me. But I still run in the afternoons just because of convenience. I'm not forced to run before work like 
a lot of people have to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, yeah. If, if I could make the choice, I would run afternoon every day. No question. Although that might change. I, I'd like to keep my mileage up to summer and, uh, running earlier in the day when it's not as hot might be something I, I, I make a priority because I mean, I, I like running in the summer heat. I think it's good for you, but it's also super discouraging when your time slow down and just how much effort you have to put in just to maintain the same amount of, or, well, I mean, you're definitely going to get training a benefit even though you're running slower, but it's discouraging to say that for yeah. me. I know you like running in the heat. I love it. I can't wait. You're crazy. I mean, why do you like it? Just, you know that it's making you a badass or what? No, I just um, <laughs> I just feel good. I like I start sweating a ton. I drink a ton of water. Um, I don't know. Just something about facing the heat that when you start sweating and um, the the heat feels it's like a comfortable heat. Well, I mean in Reading where we live, um, we get a dry heat, so just perspiring and touching that breeze is just so satisfying. So yeah, I hear you for sure. Um, so, so you, uh, let's see, we also had, uh, Jim Walmsley ran his half marathon and just barely got one Oh four. Um, that's the exact to the second, the slowest you could go to OTQ. Correct? Yeah. One second more and he would have missed it. Wow. That's intense. So there's a lot of talk about it. I mean, him being a, a trail ultra guy, then running back to the, going back to the road and trying to get his speed back and then actually hitting the mark. Um, a lot of people are really impressed with that performance. What do you think? Yeah, I think actually it sounded like there was a bunch of people probably on the letsrun.com platform giving him crap saying like, 104 is really not that fast, man. You know, he got 27th place. You know how those people are. They're yeah, that's like, a super negative. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're not a real there. runner unless you can run a five minutes and twenty two second mile. Oh man, <laughs> those guys. Are, I don't know. It just frustrates me. Like the the amount of elitism, arrogance. It's just like I don't even want to be around you people. And it's kind of weird because like all the running community I've been around. I don't know if it's just our local people, but they've all been super welcoming and supportive at all levels. You know. And just like to be a prick about, you know, someone being a jogger if they can't run, you know, a certain speed. It's just like, I don't know. It's just so off-putting. Yeah, I agree. So at that Houston, uh, Houston, ha uh, Houston Marathon, um, Tommy Rivers, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, Tommy Rivers Puzzi. Uh So I've been following that guy for a while. Um, he... Apparently he's a road guy. I thought he was a trail runner. Um, I think he's done done some ultras. Um, he's a sponsored athlete from uh, from Ultra. Um, <laughs> so he was trying to. I don't know if he's trying to PR or if he's his goal time was two fourteen. Okay. Um, and he trained in the you know in Colorado or not in Colorado Flagstaff area. Mm -hmm. um, from seeing pictures of his social media, it was getting pretty cold there and he's running in the snow and just doing lots of, you know, probably not the best kind of workout to get that all done. Um, 
But like, anyway, because of the, the cold and the ice yeah, kind exactly. of conditions, like yeah. you can't, it's not good for speed. Okay. Yeah. And I know he, he did several runs with Jim up in the altitude and he was talking about like his vision going and he'd have to slow down to get his vision back. Hmm. I'm like, that's, that's pretty crazy. I wonder how high they were because Flagstaff itself is at like 6,000, I think. Yeah. Which I, is still pretty good. Um, actually, I'm not sure if they're, are they in Flagstaff? Is that where yeah. they're based out of? Okay. Mm-hmm. <coughs> yeah, I think Flagstaff's around 7,000. Okay. Yeah, it's not, it's definitely up there. It's up there enough, yeah. The only, yeah, there's, def, there's definitely an altitude training benefit to living there for sure. Yeah, the only altitude running that I've done was around 5,000 feet, and I didn't realize how high it was. And I noticed a big uh, penalty in my, my easy pace. It was like, Went all the way down to like 12 minutes per mile. Yeah. I was, you know, it wasn't flat though. It was like a slight uphill and a slight downhill, but mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I, I have similar experience. Uh, when I was a teenager running and I was in the best shape of my life, I could, you know, run a 530 mile. I, I went to uh, like a summer camp up in Colorado Springs, which is 8,000 feet. And uh, I found some other kids that were cross country runners and we went on a couple group runs together and we were just chilling and i mean i was i was fine until i started running like you know the non-athletes are complaining about the altitude and how lightheaded they felt but i didn't i just felt weak like i had no power it was very eye-opening experience for sure Hmm. but i didn't do enough running i was there for two weeks i probably if i had been smart and like actually ran every day or something i might have gotten a little training benefit out of it when i came back to sea level but yeah it's, it's definitely well, coming from those. a ma- mountaineering perspective, you get the most benefit from um, doing activity at altitude and then sleeping low. Like if you sleep um, at altitude, you don't get as much training benefit as if you sleep back down at sea level or, you know, close to um, sea level. Yeah, like the, um, for mountaineering, they call it climb high, sleep low. Okay. So and it's just I think your body's more... Uh, the the need for um, more red blood cells is caught by the body when you're high up. And mm-hmm. then when you go to sleep and you sleep low, your body's able to do more work to fix the problem. Okay. So, so Interesting. That makes sense. It sounds really difficult, though. I remember hearing, I don't remember who it was. It was some elite athlete that lived in Southern California and they had a camp or like a, like a cabin or somewhere up in the mountains near uh, Big Bear Lake. And so they could, they'd live down in the valley at sea level and then they'd go up almost daily, I think, to the cabin or something, which was like a half an hour drive away and they can get up to six, 7,000 feet pretty easily. So that's kind of cool if you can do that. Uh, I, mean, I guess we kind of have that opportunity if you're willing to drive 45 minutes up to the mountains. Which really is not that far. Not really. I mean, in the summertime, we would have access to like 9,000 feet easily. Sure. So it's just a matter of getting out there. So, but going back to Tommy Puzzi's performance, yeah. Um, you know, it kind of blew up on social media. But basically, he ran the first half really fast. He got a he got a half mile or a half marathon PR, um, nice. and was commenting on how relaxed and easy it felt. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, like, it felt too easy. Felt too easy. <laughs> And then he started having difficulty moving his legs and then gets to, he's still on pace for 214. And then he gets into mile 23 and just all of a sudden doesn't remember a thing. And he wakes up to medics standing over him 
um, talking about EKGs and trying pounding to, on his chest and yeah, it's like the way you told that story was really riveting. It was like you were there. It was pretty cool. I mean, he just it was all written. It's not like he he told it to the camera, but it was just you know like his mind. He was like, I'm racing towards that two fourteen, and then all of a sudden, bang, bang on my chest. It's just he was a really good storyteller. Yeah, but it was like a crazy story though. Can't imagine losing consciousness from exerting yourself so hard. Yeah. Or even just the, having the willpower to push that hard. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm a wimp when it comes to that kind of stuff. Well, I mean, so far for me in my longer races, I mean, getting to the point where my, I'm taxing my cardio that hard. I mean, I'm not sure he probably just bonked because like to the point where like he, he ran out of glycogen in his brain, like even ran out of fuel to operate and that's why he passed out. But, but he uh, finished somehow. <laughs> somehow. That's crazy to have memory loss like that. Yeah. I mean, I would be afraid of actually passing out and falling on something. I've seen that happen before. Just just crashing down and hitting something that, you yeah. know, that's on the ground that's blunt. Yeah. But, and wow. the funny thing is his first question was, what, did, what was Jim Walmsley's time? Hmm. That's pretty <laughs> cool to think about somebody else first. Yeah. I mean, it seems like there was no lapse in time for him. It just all was one continuous experience, even though he was unconscious. Yeah. Speaking of epic, uh, epic bonks, I guess you could say. How, so how'd your marathon go? <laughs> I was wondering when we were going to get here. So, yeah, I mean, you can roll tape from the last episode where I, I called my 15-minute PR like a total arrogant idiot. But... Um, it's definitely going to be a PR for sure, but uh, how big, we don't know yet. That's undetermined. The potential for a 15-minute PR is pretty realistic. The goal, though, is closer to 20 minutes. Yeah, it was definitely a humbling experience. Um, yeah, you, you um, we even doubled back on what you said just to make, just to make sure we got it right. But you said uh, you're definitely <laughs> going to get a 15-minute PR. Yep. No, I mean, it's my second marathon ever. So technically it's my slowest marathon, uh, but it was. And for the record, you still beat my one marathon record. <laughs> okay, one, well, one, thank you. That's very kind that. of you to point out. <laughs> uh, no, it's, I, I, I had trained since September. So a good four months with the goal of hitting 330. So I was training at basically eight minute pace on all my long runs and uh, I was hitting those workouts, but then at some point I hurt my knee and uh, that, that took me out for like a week and a half. And then when I got better, then I got a head cold and that took me out for another week and a half. And then I, my son took me to the gym and I did a week, uh, workout, a leg workout there and that took me out for a week. So my training at the very end of the training block was Not very, ideal. was wimpy. So I was like, I had the attitude I didn't know what I could do, so I'm going to go out and try to hit my goal, and if I hit it, great. If not, if I blow up, then I blow up, and that's basically what happened. I, I was on pace pretty well for the first 10 or 11 miles. And uh, how did they feel? That felt good. I, it was a little frustrating. I had a hard time getting into a rhythm. Uh, like I would try to settle down, and I'd look at my watch, and I'd be doing 7.30, and then I'd be like, oh, i got to put on the brakes, and then I'd be doing nine minutes, and I just kept, you know, seesawing back and forth for a long time but I eventually settled in got in a groove and it, it felt fine 
Um, but then around mile 11, that's where the course changed this year because due to the car fire in 2018, a lot of the footbridges on the river trail were burnt out. And so they had to change the course, which went uh, up a thousand feet this year. The course is normally about 500 feet of climbing. I don't know. It was about eight or 900 on the current, on the new course. And I thought uh, the old course had about 700 feet. I think it was less than that. I don't know. It was definitely a lot less than this year. I think it's six or 700. You might be right. I don't know. It was steep. It's like it was all condensed. I don't know how to explain it. Um, I mean, in the old course, there were the Keswick Hills, and those are kind of steep. Um, but most of the climbing was on that Middle Creek Trail, and it was like a long, slow grade, which I think is more runnable. Um, the roads up to Shasta are definitely steep, and I I didn't want my legs to burn because I, I knew it was early in the race. So I, I walked a lot uh, in those hills just to save my legs. And there were a lot of people doing the same. Um, so I don't know how the winners could like maintain their, their super fast paces. That's super impressive. Um, and then the downhills were just as hard. I, I, looking at my splits afterwards, I wasn't able to hit more than nine minute pace going downhill. I, I just didn't have the conditioning hmm. for the beating of going up and downhill. So, uh, after that, I just, my muscles just kept breaking down. It's just, my, if you look at my heart rate data, it's kind of interesting because my heart rate started at pretty decent zone three range, like 170s, which is about right for me uh, at marathon pace. And it progressively got lower and lower all the way down to the end where I was barely zone two. So, because I, I just, my legs didn't have any power. The muscles just broke down. Mm. And I mean, nutrition went well. Um, I used the, the new spring energy Speed nuts, which were really delicious. Yeah, I forgot to ask you how those were. Those are they're really delicious. Like, spent three fifty a pop on those, right? Yeah, I only used four of them, um, which I think it worked out for me. I, being experimenting with running fat adapted, I think that was a success. I don't feel like my energy had any problems whatsoever. Uh, my stomach was good. Um, I drank water from the aid stations this time last year. I brought my water and use electrolyte and I didn't use any electrolyte this time. Well, that's not true because sometimes the aid stations handed me electrolyte when I asked for water, but uh, (laughs) I didn't go back and change what they handed me. But did you bring a water bottle with you or you just relied on aid stations? I relied on aid stations hundred percent this time, um, which I think that was a good decision. Uh, water every three miles was plenty, I think. Um, but yeah, it hurt. I mean, at the end, I was I had nothing left for a kick. I basically just shuffled in. It was yeah. painful. And here we are four days later after the marathon, and I got my first little jog in, and it was still pretty painful. But I definitely wrecked a lot worse than last year. And wow. even though I ran 20 minutes slower, 23 minutes slower, I don't know, quite a bit slower. So, yeah. And it's, it's funny how that psychology affects you because, you know, I, I figured I did all this crazy good training all year and I'm definitely going to be faster. I shouldn't have to work just as hard to go faster or I don't know. It's just, I was definitely a little too cocky going in thinking, <laughs> I, you know, I got this, you know, I don't have to work that hard or something, but I don't know. Or maybe, you know, my, my first marathon was a really awesome performance and I, I don't know, maybe that was pretty exceptional for me. You never know. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think you'll do more. You'll do plenty more and yeah, you'll learn a lot I mean, along the way. For sure. 
I'd so. love to do some more. I'd love to do a flatter marathon, but it definitely exposed a big hole in my training. I don't do enough climbing. So, well, um, you're at a disadvantage because you don't have a ton of climbing next to you. You got to drive a little bit of ways to get to that's it. That's true. I mean, I have rolling hills, but nothing that's like a big, long, sustained climb like I experienced in the race. I mean, those were like two mile long hills going up and down, and I don't have anything like that for sure. Yeah. Well, I will so. say it was when uh, when you finally came across the finish line, you didn't even look at me. I don't know if you saw me. I didn't even see you. No. I was I, like, all oh, I saw was man, the finish he's line. So I was like, pissed right now. <laughs> <laughs> it was like tunnel vision. I couldn't see anybody. You didn't see I, your family. Nope, I didn't see. I saw my mom because she was right at the like the end of the starting line filming uh. me. But uh, I was like looking around. I didn't see Crystal. I didn't see you. I didn't see anybody. So. So I appreciate you coming though. That meant a lot to me. So I know you had to skip from work for a second yeah. to come well, down. For the record, that was my third time coming out there. Was it? <laughs> I came out well, there right around three thirty, and your wife had your phone. Or she had your location. She's like, "Yeah, he's about three miles out." I was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> yeah. So, <sighs> I don't know. It's Live and yeah. learn. I mean, not everyone has, everyone has bad races and all you can do is learn from them. And I'm excited to start a new training, kind of have a focus on longer ultra races this year. And, uh, I don't know. It's going to be, it's going to be a good year. I'm not, I'm it's going to be a great all. year because we're going to do a couple races. So you're still hoping to do the, uh, the castle crags race, right? Yep. That's the plan. I'm doing that one. Um, we'll train together. We'll race together. We'll film it. Make nope. some cool movies. And, uh, yeah, this year I'm hoping to do, uh, I'm hoping to do a lot of cool stuff with, with video and kind of make a dent in that market of running film area where mm-hmm. you get, you get a couple good things and then you get, you know, there's a lot of really good content out there. A lot of it is, is, uh, you know, people who are just, you know, weekend warriors, so to speak with, with media stuff and mm-hmm. yeah, they, they just got their GoPro and they're cutting together all the clips and make a little movie. They're not, you know, they're just trying to have fun. Yeah. So, but yeah, yeah, I'm looking, I'm, forward. I'm looking forward to it as well. I, I, Crystal recorded my wife uh, some video of me at the marathon, but I haven't even been brave enough to open it and see what it looks like. So, uh, <laughs> it looks painful. <laughs> you look like you're I, like oh. I felt painful. I, like Crystal's she she was uh, at mile eleven or twelve, I think, you know, just to cheer me on. And uh, I handed her my headphones because my headphones weren't working. And uh, she's like, I don't know. She could just tell that you know it wasn't going that well that early in the race. And uh, I don't know. It was it was interesting. I think it was good experience for a longer ultra because basically once I knew that you know my legs were were shot, it was about finishing. I mean, it was really that hard. I'm not sure how your finish was like when you were dealing with cramps last year, but uh, well, at first it was literally every step was over, but. super painful, and I it was very much a mental game getting all the way to the finish. Yeah. I mean, my miles broke down. The last two miles were like 1230s. I was super. That's all I could muster. Yeah. So. Well, now the <laughs> crazy thing is you you think about those kind of experiences, and then you translate. Uh, or do you just start to think about the capabilities of some of these people that are running yeah. today. And you got, I mean, yeah. Jim Walmsley coming from, you know, he just, I think 
earlier that week he was announced as the uh, ultra runner, runner of, of the year, year mm-hmm. for was. his two performances uh the uh, Western States course record, and then uh, he beat his own course record at Lake Sonoma earlier that year. Mm, that's true. Um, and then, you know, he was planning on uh, doing the uh, the North Face 50. Oh, okay. And oh, that was canceled. canceled. And so he, you know, he went into his, I believe he still did a full taper for that too. So he did a whole training block without getting wrecked. And then went straight into training for this half marathon. But, um, yeah, so he was saying in an interview um, that the percentage of people, like the percentile of marathon runners that make OTQ, there's, it's like you're in the top 84 or 86% of marathoners to make the OTQ or something hmm. like that. Or maybe it's top runners, not not for that distance i think it's top runners in the world but it's the 86th percentile yeah and then for the half marathon otq it's more like 91 or 92 percent so it's even more difficult to get into the half marathon i would Hmm. have thought it would be the other way around but um well the think about the times though otq for half is 64 minutes and then for the marathon it's what 219 yeah flat so uh, I mean, that's, I think, I don't know what the formula is, but it's, I mean, obviously you can't just double a half marathon time for the marathon, but those guys don't drop their pace that much between the two distances. Yeah. Especially with a half marathon, it seems like, you know, I mean, a lot of, well, I guess you can't say that. I don't know what, what uh, Kipchoge's half marathon time is. Let me look it up. Okay. But uh, I bet you it's pretty close to his... Um, marath- well, I bet you he got close on his world record attempt to his half marathon PR. I bet he's done sub hour. Yeah. Well, the other question is, has he actually raced a half marathon? I bet he has. He's raced. I know he's raced track, indoor track. I yeah, bet he's done a half. They're not doing half marathons in track, I don't think. No, but I'm just saying he's he's got a bigger resume than just running road marathons. Uh, his half time is sixty one oh six. I bet you he has not raced a half marathon, because that's not like by the world's record stand stand uh, stance or whatever. That's not very fast. <laughs> so the world record is thirty eight minutes or thirty eight minutes. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> Fifty eight minutes and something seconds. Isn't uh, Ryan Hall have a pretty decent half? Yeah, it's under, I think he was either the first or only American to go under the, under 60 minutes. Yeah, his time is uh, 59.43. Okay. That's insane. And he's still the American record holder. Yeah, it says NR by his t- his team. I don't know what that means, or his time, excuse me. NR. Um, yeah, I don't know what that means. For looking half? Wiki- yeah, not record maybe. I don't know. Well, I know he's the record holder for the half marathon. He's not officially the record holder for the marathon because his Boston Marathon didn't count. Right. Yeah, I don't know what that little notation means. It's not explained, but yeah, he did that at the Houston back in 2007. Uh, Elliot Kipchoge? 
No, uh, Ryan Hall. Excuse me. Oh, gotcha. I'm I'm tracking with you. But yeah. So anyway, yeah, that's amazing. Um, one of four zero zero, and he, um, he's racing a hundred k, a fast hundred k, uh, next month, I think. Wow. Or maybe it's like three or four weeks away. It's not very far away. So. Well, hopefully he's still fresh enough. You can roll right into that. Yeah. And then, I mean, uh, that's, that seems to be something that the elites seem to be good at is like bouncing back from these crazy efforts. They just have so much endurance. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, we talked with Chris last week about that and you know, he, he just, uh, pulled off a two twenty. Um, <laughs> he commented, he goes, yesterday I was a two twenty two marathoner today. I was a 221 marathoner and then now I'm a 220 marathoner because the chip time corrected itself. And so now he, his time was like a few seconds faster than he thought it was. Hmm. He, uh, he did his signature, um, whatever that's called limbo, limbo under the tape and yeah. you know, it cost him three seconds or whatever, but then oh, the, the chip time updated and it, he actually got 220. It's like nice. two, 220.59 or something. That's funny. Did you see the newspaper photo of him doing the limbo under the belt or the, the ribbon? Uh-uh. It's pretty hilarious. It looks very uh, awkward. <laughs> well, he does that at almost every race he wins. I know, but it, like, the photographer caught him right in the most awkward moment. It's pretty classic. <laughs> and it made it on the front page of the local paper. That's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty great. So, but so yeah, but then it. he the, the <laughs> very next day turned around and ran a, a decent half yeah. marathon by yeah. our standards. Yeah, why? Well, yeah, for sure. So, I guess he's ready to rock and roll still. But yeah, well, I mean, I've heard Sage talk about, like, in terms of running talent, that resilience, or however, what kind of word you want to use to describe your resistance to injury, yeah, as a as a skill, you know, or a talent level, or some kind of something you're gifted with, being able to. I mean, that might be related to form, um, but yeah, not getting injured is huge. Yeah, I think a lot of it, well, a lot of it comes down to genetics. A lot of it comes down to choice and smart running training. Yeah. Um, but the one fascinating thing that I was reading that uh, not just for injury prevention, but also just running talent in general, um, a lot of it has to do with where your muscles attach to your bones. Hmm. You know, and like uh, if your muscles, there's places that your muscles can attach like higher or lower up on a femur or something that can give you more efficiency. Like, you know, like with a fulcrum mm-hmm. or with a lever, you know, if, if the point of, I don't, I'm trying to sound all smart here, but if, uh, I'm picturing what you're saying. Yeah. So depending on how your, your ligaments and structures are, um, you can get more movement out of your muscles with less energy expenditure Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe you have, uh, stronger bones, um, that make you less, uh, prone to things like stress fractures. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that might be a bigger issue with women, the stress fractures, just cause they have like the wider hip physiology. There's more torque on their femurs and whatnot, but that, that could be completely wrong. Yeah. I don't want to be mansplaining all the women out there. Yeah. Speaking of stress fracture, I heard that, uh, that Gary Robbins got a pelvis stress fracture. That 
That sounds really? terrible. Didn't yeah. Didn't he just come off of something pretty serious? Because he did a lot of mountain biking last year. Yeah, and then he came out maybe two weeks ago saying that he he posted a picture of the stress fracture through X-ray. You can actually mm-hmm. see it on the X-ray. Wow. So he he's got another at least two months of of mountain biking. Jeez. So. Huh. Well, I hope he's not breaking down or anything. I I always hear about people like. Uh, like Courtney DeWalter, she's just like, just going crazy, racing all the time and training like crazy, doesn't really care about her diet and just, I know, I, I know people are concerned about her, but she seems to be doing just fine. But it feels like eventually that kind of stuff catches up with you. Well, the, I know the sleep deprivation, I mean, t- that would be a fantastic subject just to go over in and of itself. You know, the, the concept of, um, some people are saying that when you're sleep deprived or spend a lot of time being sleep deprived, that you do irreparable damage to your body that, uh, you can't make up the damage you do from not sleeping. Hmm. So, so like doing a lot of like longer than hundred mile races or I mean like those 200 mile races that take three days. Yeah, exactly. So I, I don't, it seems illogical to me. So I really would love to dive into this and maybe, Maybe well, we can get an expert on this and get them well, on the it's show. It's probably but. really hard to know for sure. I mean, there's not like you can get a, a randomized controlled study on, you know, ultra runners who, who do these long races and are sleep deprived and what, what the damage is going to be. It's, it's all going to be kind of anecdotal, but. Yeah. Well, you can, I mean, there's, there's a lot of research about sleep deprivation, mm. you know, and, or maybe sleep deprivation in context to um, doing some kind of activity. Uh, I know in Japan they've done a bunch of work because they've had, um, I forget the name of the of the term of the syndrome, but like people were dropping dead from working too much. Hmm. So, but um, then th- that was not sleep related, or just I think it's just overexhaustion. Overexhaustion. It's it's part of sleep deprivation because they just don't sleep enough and just work too much. Hmm. Um, or the people that were suffering from that condition. But I think the idea is that in your, and I have heard multiple times that if you're sleep deprived, um, you can't just get one good night's sleep and recover. Like you need to actually make up for it. So, you know, let's just say your body wants to get eight hours of sleep while you spend two months only getting six hours of sleep instead of then going back to your normal eight hours of sleep. They're saying Hmm. that you're supposed to make that time up. So you'd be you know, to get out of the hole, you'd need to be sleeping 10 hours for two months. Interesting. So, and that just doesn't, doesn't make sense to me. I don't know if I believe it. I just, I've heard that a number of times. I mean, I know that the, the processes that your body go through while you're sleeping are super important. I mean, your, your, your hormonal levels change and your brain actually swells to sort of force the, the toxins that it creates all day from operating out and, it's just it's amazing what your body goes through at night to repair itself. Yeah. I imagine if you don't let it do that, like a lot, then that could cause damage. But you're right about the whole permanent permanency of it. That that might be a little hard to know for sure. But I mean, so many factors like diet and like big one is diet. You know, I would think that would have a big play in it too. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I don't know. I've never, uh, I've never done very well with sleep deprivation. I, a couple times, I've tried to go out and do photos like all night of the Milky Way, and 
I like, I just can't stay up all night. So I don't know how I'll do on a longer hundred mile race. That should yeah. be. I turn into a monster. <laughs> I am not fun to be around. Actually, uh, my sister and my friends used to make fun of me because um, my sister and I shared an apartment for a brief amount of time and our friends would come over and we'd watch movies. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I take that back. I was at my sister's house and we were watching movies and either I I didn't have my car or somebody drove, I think somebody drove me there and I didn't have my own car. And rather than fall asleep or wait for someone to take me home, I just, I got super frustrated. It was like two in the morning and I just decided I was going to walk home. <laughs> and it was wow. like five miles of walking. And then I think somebody drove by to pick me up and I was like, no, I'm going to walk home. <laughs> so <laughs> I just, I hope that that, monster brine doesn't come out when they start doing hundreds yeah I, crystal and i have sort of talked about what it would be like to crew me for a longer race and she like respectfully is like you're probably going to be really irritable and uh, i just need to be patient with you and loving and supportive even though you're probably going to be a little nasty uh, you know i've seen a few race videos of people who are long in these races and you know they're kind of snappy and rude to their crew people and uh, i don't know I hope I don't do that. Um, I mean, like at the marathon, it wasn't anything like a, you know, crewing for an ultra in terms of meta commitment and need from your crew. But I just feel super overwhelmed with all the support from everyone. Just like my mother-in-law came, my mom came, you came. It just, it means a lot to me to have all that support. And uh, hopefully I don't forget that, you know, even when after, you know, mile 80, when you're super sore and tired and sleep deprived and hungry and hurting. I don't know. It's just an interesting thing we we enjoy doing, suffering so much. Yeah, yeah. So next week we've got um, we've got Ryan Spitz, the race director and owner of Shasta Trail Runs, coming on. Get to pick his brain about what it's like being a race director, um, and all the fun stuff that they've got yeah. in store coming up. Got lots of questions for him about his new race lineup this year, and I know he's got a few other little tricks up his sleeve, and hopefully he'll spill the beans on the show next week. So yeah, I think he just announced his own his own hundred mile race. He's going to do something on the coast. I forget. I think it's in the Marin Headlands. I think that was just a fifty miler, but we'll have to definitely find out what he's going to do. Uh, I when I ch- when I clicked on it, I saw a hundred miles, but I could be wrong. So there's. Oh, well, scratch that. I know that we, we could talk to him about it. He can tell us for sure what yeah. he's going to do. I, there was another race he mentioned, uh, I think, somewhere up in Oregon uh, okay. that he wants to do. Maybe Washington. I don't remember. It was somewhere up north. Yeah. I am mildly disappointed because at the beginning of the episode, I sent you a GIF. Um, maybe you can open up your phone now and, uh, and get your I, I, It came through. It showed up like 20 minutes into the show, and I have no idea what the context is for it. Did you, I mean, do you see the picture? Yeah, it's like uh. the leaf blower in the face. <laughs> <laughs> it's supposed to make you go like, what is that? And start laughing, then throw you off, but it didn't work. It did. It came, well, did you mean to send it in the middle of the show? Yeah. <laughs> okay, because it's just like, you were just talking like no big deal and it showed up. I'm like, did that, did he just send that to me while he was talking? <laughs> but you're right, it didn't get a, a reaction out of me. I was trying to be professional. I should have I should have waited until you <laughs> until you were talking and just throw you off that way. I'll, I'll try next worked. week. It <laughs> All right. Well, that's gonna be a nice little challenge. Okay. 
Well, thanks, everybody. We'll catch you next week. Um, don't forget to uh, subscribe on your favorite or follow or whatever you do on your favorite uh, podcasting platform. Um, our email address is randomrunnerpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, hit us up with any questions, anything you want to see on the show. Um, and hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at randomrunnerpod. Awesome. Thank you. I'm glad you brought up Twitter because, like, nobody uses email. Yeah, yeah, I know, but I just figured <laughs> I'd throw it out there. Why don't uh, you guys email us or personal message, direct message us if you like email or not, if we just ditch it. All right, folks, thank you for putting up with our live.